What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So today I'm back in the WZBC AM Sports Studio. My first time being back here since I graduated in May. So I do play in the Yawkey Baseball League now, and I do play for the Brighton Braves, a team that has its home field at Rogers Park right on Lake Street right near BC. So I have a game there tonight at 7.30. So I figured coming to campus early, walking around BC, taking in all the sights, whether it's walking through the quad, seeing the football stadium, walking by the gym, going through the library, seeing Gasson, just walking around the campus, getting a feel for it again. I figured, why not? And here I am back in the studio for the first time since I graduated, so just about two months since the last time I was back here in the studio since my last episode. So it's great to be back. Just to be back in here is just a pleasure. I always enjoy doing this. And for everybody that's ever listened along the way, whether it's been on Spotify, whether it's one episode, 100 episodes, or all 180 that I've done, Thank you so much for always listening. You know, I do this because I love talking sports and I appreciate everybody listening every step of the way. So thank you. So today, this wasn't really planned too much. I just figured why not come to campus early and just get a nice feel for it and just walk around again like the good old days. So this isn't really too planned. Uh, I just have a couple notes in the Red Sox I'll talk about. This probably won't be a long episode, maybe 20 minutes or so. I do have the game at 7.30, so I have to go get something to eat beforehand and then, you know, get ready to go. So I'm going to start off talking about the Red Sox and how the season has gone. If you look at the Red Sox season, it's a streak. A streak of good games and a streak of bad games. That's how the Red Sox season's been. Patterns. Five wins in a row, five losses in a row. That's how it's gone the entire season. So I'm going to talk about their current hot streak going into the All-Star break. I'll look at their first half, break down all the good and the bad, and then I'll talk about what I see for the rest of the season and the future of the Boston Red Sox at the end. And meaning the future of the near future. So this season and maybe next year as well. Since they do have some pieces they could trade at the trade deadline if they want to move on from guys that have maybe a year left on their contract. For example, Justin Turner. The Red Sox could trade. I mean, he does, I believe, a player option for next year. The Red Sox could trade him and, you know, not bring him back next year if he were to opt into his player option. The Red Sox, who knows, could trade Alex Verdugo, which I don't want them to do. But he does have one year left after this year. There's a chance I could move on from a guy like that. So I'm going to talk about what I see for the Red Sox by the end of this season. And we'll start off with the good and the bad. So let's start talking about the Red Sox in the bed. At one point in the season, the Red Sox were 15 games behind Tampa Bay on June 30th. So just about two weeks ago, the Red Sox were 15 games behind the Rays. And where do the Red Sox stand now? Nine games behind Tampa Bay for the first time since May 27th. The first time the Red Sox have been within nine games of first place in the division since May 27th. And I'm not saying that like it's a great thing. I'm not saying, oh, it's great that we're nine games out. But considering how tough this division is for the Red Sox, you'll take nine games out and just say, you know, what can you do at the end of the day? The division's really competitive. Just have a spot in a chance for a wild card. That's all you really want at the end of the day. You knew you probably weren't going to win this division. So being in this position right now, you'll take as a Red Sox fan. But first time within nine games of Tampa Bay since May 27th. And... There's two reasons why that gap between the Red Sox and Tampa Bay has closed. Tampa Bay's losing streak has helped, and then the Red Sox win streak. So there's two reasons, as I said. Tampa Bay's losing streak, which Tampa Bay went on a very, very cold, cold streak, and the Red Sox went on a hot streak. The Red Sox won five games in a row in eight of the last nine, and Tampa Bay, going into the All-Star break, went in as one of the worst teams in the last week heading into the All-Star break. Tampa Bay is 3-7 in their last 10 games. 3-7, and, and at one point, lost seven games in a row. Seven games in a row they lost at one point. They won their last game before the All-Star break against Atlanta. But they took 1-3 of three against Seattle, 0-3 of three against Philadelphia, and then 1-3 of three against Atlanta. So they went into the All-Star break as one of the coldest teams in baseball. And partly it's because their offense cooled off. 
They lost 3-1 to one to the Phillies, 8-4, to 3-1 to, to the Phillies, and 2-1 to, to the Braves, 6-1 to, to the Braves, and then 1-10-4. The offense really cooled off. This is still a good team at Tampa Bay. I'm not making it seem like the Red Sox is the better team. But the Rays getting cold did help the Red Sox even that gap a little bit. Then you look at the Red Sox winning five games in a row and winning eight of the last nine. Pretty impressive. And if you look at the teams they're doing against some pretty good teams. And I know Oakland's not a good team, so taking three of three against Oakland isn't that crazy and isn't that impressive. But the teams they did beat right before Oakland, it's still pretty impressive. Taking three of three against Toronto and then taking two of three against Texas. And Texas, I think, is the best team in the American League. So taking two of three against Texas, you'll take any day as a Red Sox fan. I felt pretty good going into that series against Toronto, and I felt pretty good going into that series against Texas. And taking three of three against Oakland, that's huge. And so if you look at the Red Sox season, as I said, it streaks here and there of good and bad. They've had three long win streaks on the year. Eight games, six games, and now five games. Losing streaks. They've had a five-game losing streak, a four-game losing streak, and a four-game losing streak on the year. So three good winning streaks, three bad losing streaks. And they've stayed in the basement in the AL East, dead last in the division since May 30th. But right now, they're just one game behind the fourth-place New York Yankees. One game behind. And if you look at what the Red Sox have done this year in the division, they've done a lot better this year than in years past. They were 7-0 in the first half of the season against Toronto, 5-1 against the Yankees, 3-3 against Baltimore, a good team in Baltimore that's in the race right now for the AL East. They could legitimately win the AL East. Baltimore could win the AL East right now. They're only two games behind Tampa Bay. I think Baltimore has all the momentum in the world right now. I would not be surprised if they're even with Toronto, uh, even with Tampa Bay, excuse me, if they're even with Tampa Bay by the end of the season, if it's pretty close going into the last week or two of the season. So if you look at it, you have 3-3 three three against Baltimore, so a positive record or a 500 record against three or four teams in the division, and then Toronto or Tampa Bay, the Red Sox are 1-7 against. Tampa Bay, 1-7 against, you're not happy with, obviously, as a Red Sox. And at the end of the day, being 15-4 against the AL East, not named Tampa Bay, is a win at the end of the day. 15-4 against the AL East, not named Tampa Bay. If you look, if you look at the Red Sox were last year, 26-50 in the AL East last year. 26-50. And, and shout out to my brother Tony for listening, much appreciated. But the Red Sox are 26-50 versus the AL East last year. And now what are they? 16 and 11. 16 and 11 and 15 and 4 against teams not named the Rays. So that's impressive on its own. And now I'm going to look at some low points in the Red Sox season. I already talked about some of those cold streaks. And now I'm going to dive into some individual series that hurt the Red Sox overall in the first half of the season. Being swept by Pittsburgh at home in a three game series early in the season, that was tough. Being swept by St. Louis at home at Fenway Park in a three game series was tough. And then losing two of three a few weeks ago, or about three weeks ago now, against the Colorado Rockies at Fenway Park. All of those games were at home. Three games against Pittsburgh, three games against St. Louis, three games against Colorado, and the Red Sox went one and eight in those nine games. And all of those games were at home at Fenway Park. And that's the reason the Red Sox have consistently stayed and hovered around 500 on the year. Because of all those bad streaks and good streaks. So what have been the biggest turnarounds for the, turnarounds for the Red Sox? What is turning everything around? What are the biggest pieces of momentum so far for the Sox going into the All-Star break and going past the All-Star break now into the second half of the season? Well, Brian Bayo's excellence on the mound, that's one. 6-5 and five with a 3.04 ERA and 14 starts, a 1.118 whip, so 
118 walks and hits allowed per inning pitched, and 70 strikeouts in 80 innings so far in the year. Bayo has given up three earned runs or less in 13 of 14 starts so far on the year. If you take away his first start of the year, which he was started off on a bad note, giving up five earned runs in his first start, if you take that start away, 13 starts besides that first one of the year, in those 13 starts, a 6-4 and four record, 6 wins, 4 losses, with a 2.56 ERA, 65 strikeouts to 21 walks, and 77 in the third innings pitched. That's pretty impressive. He's looked like a young Pedro for this Red Sox team. He looks like the ace for years to come. So that's one positive development for the Sox so far in the season. What's another one? Jaron Duran. Jaron Duran's electric ability on the base path, from first, from home to first, and then first to second, is unreal. And it's, it's stealing bases, whether it's a single, a double, whatever it may be, stealing second, stealing third. His ability to get to him from home to first has not only given him chances at infield singles, but has also given him chances at doubles, just on bloopers into center field. His ability on the base paths have been unreal this year. Unreal. And his development at the plate and in center field, or left field, he's played both, is impressive. And the Sox finally have a leadoff hitter. Their first since Mookie Betts left. Their first one they could actually rely on. And I'm confident in saying that with Jaron Duran. I was a fan of Jaron Duran over the past few years through the good and the bad. And I've stayed with them through the good and the bad. And I said right before the season began on my podcast, whether it's my radio show or my podcast, I think I, in, in both I mentioned them. I said I haven't lost hope with them. And I think he can break out and still be a good player for this Red Sox team. And look at what he's done. On Saturday... Was three for five, three runs scored, a double, a home run, three runs batted in, and a stolen base. He turns singles into doubles consistently. Turns singles into two bases just by getting to first and staying with second base. With lightning speed. Lightning speed. So, so far on the year, 57 games, Durant's hitting 315 in 57 games as a starter with 14 stolen bases and an 888 OPS. With runners in scoring position, He's hitting 388 with a 1041 OPS, 29 runs batted in, and a 174 OPS plus. If you look at his last 17 games, he made 12 starts with two home runs, nine runs batted in, nine doubles, a triple, seven stolen bases, a 421 batting average, a 754 slugging percentage, and an 1185 OPS. And he did go on a cold stretch at one point. His batting average fell to 274 on June 7th. But since that day, since June 7th and on, he's played in 24 games, making 16 starts. And in those 24 games, he's hitting 417 as a batting average with a 708 slugging percentage, an 1148 OPS, two home runs, 11 runs batted in, 11 doubles, two triples, two home runs, and nine stone bases. So now you look at the whole season as a whole. Overall, he's hitting 320 with a 519 slugging percentage, an 886 OPS, five home runs, 33 runs batted in, 27 doubles, which is actually tied for third most in the major leagues. And he's played in 15 less games and has 91 less at bats than any of the two guys that are ahead of him. And even the third guy that's tied with him. So any of those three guys that are either tied with him or ahead of him have had at least 15 more games played and 91 more at bats than him. And he's still tied for the third most doubles in baseball. And that's because of his speed, which I've mentioned multiple times. He also has two triples on the year and 17 stone bases in 18 attempts. If you look at his OPS and slugging percentage in the game of baseball, he's the 17th best OPS in baseball 
and the 17th best slugging percentage in the MLB among players with 200-plus plate appearances. If you look at the same benchmark right there, 200-plus plate appearances, he has the fifth-best batting average of baseball at 318. Fifth-best in the game of baseball at a 318 batting average with players among, among players with 200-plus plate appearances. So that's obviously been a positive note. Credit to Jaron Duran. With all the criticism and everything he's gone through over the last year, credit to him. He deserves success more than anybody on this Red Sox team. Then you've got James Paxton. He's back to a top-of-the-rotation piece, like he was back in his Seattle Mariners days. The 34-year-old owns a 5-1 record on the year with a 2.73 ERA, in 10 starts with 64 strikeouts and 56 innings, and a .982 whip. He's given up two earned runs or less in 8 of 10 starts on the year, and three earned runs or less in 9 of 10 starts this year. So we just had one bad start like Brian Bayo. In Paxton's last seven starts, he has a 1.93 ERA, with a 185 opponent batting average against him, 45 strikeouts to 8 walks, with 9 earned runs and 42 innings pitched. That's impressive. Another impressive piece for the Sox, Justin Turner. Turning back time at the dish. He was hitting just 256 on June 8th, right? 256 on June 8th. Since that day, he's played in 27 games, with 6 home runs in that 27-game stretch, 26 RBIs, a 359 batting average, a 594 slugging percentage, in a 10-10 OPS with seven doubles and two stolen bases. So now he's up to 288 on the year for a batting average due to that 27-game stretch there with 13 total home runs, 52 runs batted in, and an 824 OPS. He's been very impressive. Another very good piece of the Sox, and another offseason piece of the Red Sox got, Masataki Yoshida. Yoshida has a 316 batting average on the year with 10 home runs, 44 runs batted in, and an 874 OPS. With seven multi-hit games in a row, hitting 5.17 over the last seven games, so those seven multi-hit games in a row, he's hit 5.17 over that seven-game stretch with two home runs, five runs batted in, a 7.93 slugging percentage, a 13.26 OPS, and one strikeout to no walks. So there's one strikeout over the last seven games. He's seeing the ball very well. He's seeing a pitch of the strike zone that he likes, and he's swinging because he's walked no times, and he struck out only once. So two more pieces that I want to talk about that have been very good developments for the Sox so far going into the All-Star break and now through the All-Star break into the second half of the season. And that's Nick Pavetta. Nick Pavetta's growth in the bullpen. In the bullpen, he's been out of the bullpen now 14 appearances. He has a 2.79 ERA in those 14 games with 39 strikeouts to 12 walks and 9 earned, nine earned runs in 29 innings pitched with a 2-2 two two record and 2 holds and also holding batters to a 146 opponent batting average against him. He had a 5.76 ERA as a starter, then gets moved to the bullpen, and now has lowered his ERA to 4.83 on the year, and has flourished out of the bullpen for the Sox. He's part of the reason that the Red Sox right now five games over 548-43. He's been great out of the bullpen. When the Red Sox have to start and open up because they don't really have enough guys healthy in the rotation, considering they don't really only have Brian Bayo, James Paxton, and Cutter Crawford healthy, they need somebody to pitch in middle relief because whoever they have the, as the opener, whether it's Bernardino or some other guys have had be the opener, you need a guy that's going to go innings three through six, three through seven maybe. And Nick Pavetta has done his job out of the bullpen. And one last piece I want to mention, Cutter Crawford. He's been stepping up huge for the Red Sox in the rotation. Last four starts for Crawford. A 2-1 record with a 3.92 ERA and 17 strikeouts to four walks 
and 20 and two-thirds innings pitched, which is huge. He's looked unreal for this Red Sox team. Stepping up at the right time when they need somebody to take over and be in that rotation since everybody's been hurt. Tanner Houck's hurt. Chris Hale's hurt. Corey Kluber didn't work out. Garrett Whitlock's hurt. With Whitlock, Sale, and Houck hurt. And Kluber not working out, which he's been on the injured list as well, but he's really you know been a field project for the Sox so far. With Sale, Houck, and Whitlock hurt, the Red Sox needed somebody to step up, and that's Cutter Crawford. So what lies ahead for the Red Sox? And this will be my closing. I probably have a couple minutes left here. Probably about five minutes to go before I got to go. So what lies ahead for this Red Sox team? The trade deadline's looming. August 1st is coming up. What are the Red Sox going to do? Are they going to move James Paxton? Are they going to move Justin Turner? Are they going to move Adam Duvall, Kenley Jansen, or Chris Martin? What are the Red Sox going to do? For one thing, I think Adam Duvall should be gone. Trade him for whatever current piece you can get. If you can get a fifth-inning guy, a middle-relief guy that's on an expiring contract, or even a backup bench piece, why not? Why not trade him? In my eyes, he's been a field project in center field besides that first week of the season. Then, obviously, he unfortunately gets hurt. Obviously not his fault, but he really didn't come back as the same player once he was injured. So I think Adam Duvall would be a good piece to trade. Jaron Durant deserves to be the everyday center fielder. He should be in center field every single day. Pencil him in as a leadoff hitter in center field every single day. I know Cora loves doing the righty versus lefty, and the lefty on lefty wants to sit Jaron Durant versus lefties. I know the analytics say you bench a guy like that when he's facing lefties, but I think Jaron Durant has earned the right to be the everyday center fielder. And most starters in the game of baseball are righties. So Durant's going to get a lot more opportunities in center field than Adam Duvall's going to. But as for the rest of the guys I listed, I would keep them as a now. Why not try to make the playoffs and make a run? You're two games out of the wild card right now. Why not try to make a run? You're right in the thick of things right now. Why not try to make a run? And with key injuries that the Sox have had on the year that I've already mentioned a few of them, some of those guys are going to be coming back soon. Chris Sale, Trevor Story, John Schreiber, Garrett Whitlock, Tana Houck, those guys will be back at some point this season. And I'm going to give you a quick update of all of those plays and I'm going to give you a quick rundown. Here we go. Chris Sale. He's back to throwing after a shoulder injury. Can return at the earliest, August 1st. So right at the trade deadline is the earliest he can return. And he's already back to throwing, and the MRI looked good. So he should be back at some point in the next month, let's say. Trevor Story has been throwing long distance as of late. Obviously had that tough elbow injury and the wrist injury over the last year. But he hopes to be back by mid-August. And hopes to make a minor league assignment soon after the All-Star break. So he should be returning within a month. John Schreiber, he's been pitching for AAA Worcester and should be back in the Sox bullpen soon. He's looked pretty good there. Garrett Whitlock has an elbow injury, obviously another blow to the rotation, should be back at some point since MRIs have said it's just tightness with his elbow. So that's good news. Tanner Houck took a line drive off the face about a month ago, suffered a facial fracture, even got surgery on it, but should be back at some point. Hopes to throw a bullpen session on July 25th, so just about two weeks away. So that means the Red Sox could have three guys added to their rotation in the next two to three weeks, a good bullpen middle relief guy in John Schreiber, and then a starting shortstop in Trevor Story added to their lineup and rotation, whether it's a bullpen or starting rotation, all those guys I named. All those guys should be back within the next three to four weeks. And who knows? Maybe things go south for the Red Sox and they lose a lot of games before the trade down. Maybe they do blow things up. I think at the end of the day, some teams are in the middle right now, just like the Angels and Shohei Otani. The Angels, this is the worst position they want to be in. Five games out of the playoffs and be under 
500 by five games. This is the worst position for the Angels to be in. Right now, the Angels stand at 45-46, so a game under 500. And right now, in the wild card, a five games back of the Toronto Blue Jays, the last spot in the AL wild card. So one game under 500, 45-46, and went into the All-Star break, losing five games in a row, and a 1-9 in the last 10 games played. So just being one game under 500 and having that really bad cold stretch, this isn't where the Angels want to be at. They'd rather either be 10 games under 500 so they know, okay, we're going to go and try to negotiate a contract with Shohei Otani if things don't work out with trade of the trade deadline, or they'd rather be in the thick of things and be in the first or second wildcard spot at this point right now, knowing, okay, let's go all in and try to make things work for Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Obviously, the Angels have had injuries. Anthony Rendon and Mike Trout both getting hurt within a 24-hour window was catastrophic to this season. Catastrophic. And Mike Trout's going to be out around six to eight weeks. That's awful for this Angels team, considering they really only have Shohei Otani on a guaranteed contract just for the remainder of this season. And who knows what the, what the future holds. So some teams are like the Red Sox. Are in the, they're in the middle ground right now. What do you want to do? If I'm the Red Sox, I would rather go all in and try to make a run in the postseason. Is this Red Sox team a World Series favorite? No. But at the end of the day, there have been teams that have made runs in the postseason that were not World Series favorites that have made runs and got hot at the right time. For one, for one example, the Philadelphia Phillies last year. At this point in the season, nobody saw them as a World Series contender. They got hot in the second half of the season and made a run in the postseason all the way to the World Series. The Washington Nationals in 2019 got hot middle to the late part of the season and won the World Series. The Atlanta Braves of 2021. Nobody saw them at the midway point of the season as a World Series favorite. Maybe it's a team that could definitely make a little bit of noise, but no one saw them as a World Series favorite. What did they do in 2021? Won the World Series. So it's possible. It's possible. The Red Sox could make a run. And that's why I'd like to see them go a little bit all in. I know a lot of people would rather just see them fold up and lose and just try to get future assets. But at the end of the day, if you're this close to the playoffs, why not make a run? As for the Angels, I think if I'm the Angels GM right now, I'm offering Shohei Otani a 10-year $600 million contract, whatever it may be, since you're getting a superstar as a hitter and a superstar as a pitcher, give him a $600 million offer for how many years, whatever he wants, even make it six fifty if you want to go overboard, and just to make sure you can try to get him. And if he says no to like $650 million, even $700 million, let's say, which it sounds crazy and it's going to break the all-time American sports record in, in, in guaranteed money, it's going to break that, shatter it easily. I know it sounds crazy hearing $600 million, but that's ultimately what Shohei is probably going to be worth when he's on the free agent, you know, open market. So if Shohei does decline a $600, $700 million offer somewhere between there, even if it's, let's say, it's $550 to $650, if he declines an offer like that, then you know, okay, he probably doesn't want to come back. So I would negotiate a contract with Shohei Otani right now, and if he doesn't take a $600 million offer, and if he's not interested at all, that means he doesn't want to come back, and if the Angels continue to lose games and things don't go right for them by August 1st, I would trade him at the trade deadline and get back future pieces, since you're going to get back a good amount to keep building that Los Angeles Angels farm system. A farm system that's done pretty good in the draft over the last two or three years. So let's talk about the Sox really quick, which I was just talking about them and what they're going to do with the trade deadline. As of now, I'm trading Adam Duvall and Paxton, Turner, Martin, Jansen, all of them are staying. Alex Odugo, I would give a contract extension to. He's contract extension eligible right now, has one year left on his deal. I would give him an extension. He's the hot and solely team. I know he's gone through some bumps and bruises along the way of lack of hustle and having a couple cold stretches, but he's the hot and soul of the team in my eyes. He brings the energy every single night. So I would give Alex Rodugo an extension. I think he's rightfully earned it. 
So this brings into question the future of Haim Bloom and Alex Cora, which all season long, whether Red Sox are going through good stretches or bad stretches, everybody's always talked about what does the future hold for Alex Cora and Haim Bloom. As of now, I think they're both safe at the end of this year. Whether or not that's the right decision, who knows? I mean, it's going to depend on how the Red Sox do the rest of this season. But the Red Sox don't have as talented of a roster as those American League East teams do. Those AL East teams have better rosters for the most part, considering the Red Sox you know, had a lot of key pieces hurt. A lot of those AL East rosters are better than this Red Sox team. So Alex Corey hasn't really worked with the best roster. But with that being said, things are starting to come together for Bloom as of late and at the right time, honestly. I've been critical of him, and rightfully so sometimes, but some of his moves are starting to fall in place and are starting to help the Red Sox win some ballgames. For example... Chris Martin, he's been unreal out of the bullpen for the Red Sox. A piece of Red Sox just got this offseason. Kenley Jansen has been pretty good for the Red Sox overall. He has had some bad stretches like that series against St. Louis where he blew two games in a row, but he's been pretty good overall. A guy the Red Sox got this past offseason. It was the only Red Sox all-star this year. Cutter Crawford, a young piece of this Red Sox team that has shined over the last three to four games that he's been in as a pitcher on the mound. Nick Pavetta, since he's made the move to the bullpen, has looked pretty good. Josh Winkowski out of the bullpen overall has been pretty good this year. Justin Turner has turned back time to plate and looks like a different hitter than he was last year with the LA Dodgers. James Paxton has looked like the James Paxton of old. Paxton and Turner, two guys the Red Sox just got and High and Bloom signed this past offseason. So Martin, Jansen, Turner, Paxton, and then Masataki Yoshida. Those are five pieces the Red Sox got this past offseason that are helping the Red Sox win ballgames right now, that are key pieces to this team. Another player that this wasn't a guy that he brought in, Bloom, but as a guy that he believed in enough to call him back up and give him another opportunity, Jared Duran. And he's looked great. Through the hot and cold over the last three years, this is his third season now in the, in the major leagues, the Red Sox have believed in him enough to give him another opportunity. And I know Haya Bloom has had some misses along the way. Kika Hernandez, for the most part, Besides one postseason run in 2021, was a miss. I think he could be a guy that's DFA'd at some point. Corey Kluber, a miss. Do I blame Bloom for going after Kluber, though? No, I mean, at the end of the day, you got a bargain contract with Paxton. you got a bargain contract with Kluber, even though it didn't work out. And you got a bargain contract with Michael Walker last year, and that worked out. So he's given out some bargain contracts to some starting pitches that were on the downtrend to most teams' eyes, and it worked out. So I don't blame him too much for the Kluber situation. Obviously, you wish you had a better starting pitching, but you know, rotation, but there's a lot of injuries in there, and that's why Kluber got probably more opportunities than he deserved. Obviously, Gita Dems was a big miss of that Mookie Betts trade. That was obviously a fail and a miss by Bloom. Frenchy Cordero, trading Andrew Benintendi for him and getting Cordero back, that was a miss. But if I remember right, Josh Winkowski was part of that deal as well. So even though it didn't really work out the Benintendi deal, getting back, you know, Frangie Cordero, who is the main piece of that deal, you get Winkowski back, who's been pretty good in the bullpen for the Sox as of late. One ultimate miss, though, that I really can't, you know, say Bloom can get away with and, and, and not give him, you know, any bit of, you know, criticism for is letting Xander Bogats, J.D. Martinez, and Nate Evaldi all leave within the past year, all in free agency and get nothing back in return. That's one thing right there that I can't let him get away with. Letting Bogots, Martinez, and Evaldi all leave for free with no return. Martinez just hit cleanup. 
in the All-Star game last night for the NL. Nate Evaldi has been unreal, one of the best starters in the American League and one of the best players on the mound in the game of baseball this year. He's looked great for Texas. And then Bogarts hasn't really had that hard of a year for San Diego, but considering you let him leave for free, you can't do that at the end of the day. So even though things haven't gone all right for Bloom, not everything has gone wrong at the same time, though. And he has built this farm system, I think, enough to see some positive stretches and some positive things coming through. Tristan Casas came up, struggled last year, even struggled for a good amount of this year. He's looked good and better over the last month and a half. Defensively, he has to learn a little more, but he's been getting better at the plate. Has been getting better contact and putting the bat to the ball a lot better than he did two months ago. Marcelo Maya, Nick York, a couple pieces that High and Bloom drafted will be up in the next couple of years. So we'll see what happens with High and Bloom and Alex Corbett. As of now, on July 12th here, while I'm sitting in the studio here on a Wednesday you know, evening when no one's probably thinking about what High and Bloom's future holds, especially on the All-Star break since this is really one of the most boring weeks in the world of sports over you know, the course of the 365-day year considering it's the All-Star break for the MIB. There's no games going on. There's no NBA. I guess there's a summer league, but there's no NBA games. There's no NHL games. There's no NFL games. You got the summer league. And then now it's the all-star break for baseball, so there's nothing going on. So no one's probably even wondering right now, you know, what's going on with Bloom and Cora. But in my eyes, I think Bloom and Cora will be safe at the end of this year. Who's more in the hot seat? I don't know. I would have said Cora a month ago, considering he seemed like he wanted out a month ago when the Red Sox were going through a cold stretch. When he said, oh, we're 40 and 40, yeah, you know, what can you do? It seemed like he wanted out. But now I'd say I, I think he's buying in a little more. And maybe it's because the Red Sox are winning. Sometimes winning solves a lot of your problems. Sometimes it does. So we'll see what happens with this Red Sox team. But I'm looking forward to seeing, hopefully, the Red Sox continue this hot streak. And if you look at their future schedule over the next few weeks, they got Chicago for three games at Chicago, three games at Oakland. So six games where they should probably go 4-2 or 5-1 and one in that stretch. I'd take 4-2, and two, but I'd love 5-1. And, and then you get the Mets for three, Atlanta for two, and then San Francisco for three. The Mets have been struggling overall in the course of the season, but they're 6-4 in the last 10 games. And are now 42 and 48, six games out of 500, but have been making strides over the past week and a half. But you've got three games against Chicago, who has been struggling on the air, five games out of 500, 42 and 47. Then you got Oakland again for three games at Oakland, 25 and 67 on the air as Oakland, four and six in the last 10, who the Red Sox just swept. And then you got the Mets. So those are nine games right there that if the Red Sox go six and three in that stretch, that's a huge win in my eyes. It definitely would help even their, their gap between themselves and the last wildcard spot in the AL. So anyways, that will conclude this episode. Do have my game at 7.30. Going to go and try to get something to eat and get ready for that. But thank you guys so much for listening. Much appreciated. Psyched to be back in the studio. And hopefully I'll be able to do this again soon. As I said, I just kind of just came, you know, on a limb. Didn't think much. Just said, why not go into the studio and see if anybody's in there? And if no one is, I'll come in and talk some sports like I did for two years here in the studio and enjoyed every second of it. So I'm happy to be back in here and hopefully I'll be back in again soon. Luckily, you know, being in Southie, it's not too far away from BC. So if I want to come back and, and, and talk sports in here, if no one's in here and I have the pleasure to do so and the opportunity to do so, why not? So I enjoyed every second in here and thank you guys for listening. Whether it's this episode or an episode along the way, it's much appreciated. So thank you guys for listening in. And one last thing I want to say, a shout out to my family, all my friends, shout out to the Keith family, shout out to the O'Malley family. Shout out to the Loftus family. Shout out to Auntie Lisa. Shout out to my siblings. Shout out to Tony for listening. Much appreciated. Shout out to my parents. And shout out to all my guests I've had along the way. And shout out to Dina, one last person I want to shout out. Dina from the Cape, much appreciated with all your support. 
Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for all your suggestions over the weekend. I was at the Falmouth Commodores game this past weekend since Mark Walsh got to sing God Bless America in the seventh inning. I was talking to Dina and MJ a ton about my podcast, and they gave me a lot of great suggestions. So thank you guys for your support. It's much appreciated. So for everyone else listening here, thank you for listening. Every step of the way, as I've said now, probably five times, and hopefully I'll be back in the studio again soon. As I said, this wasn't new planned. It was just, uh, why not go to the studio, see what's going on, and I had the opportunity to do so. So thank you guys. Much appreciated. Hope you guys have a good summer. Enjoy the rest of the way, and hopefully I'll be back in here again soon. Much appreciated. Have a good one. Have a good night, and thank you for listening again. Take it easy. Stay safe, and take care. Have a good one. Closing out one last time, Joey Maylari in the WZBC AM Sports Studio.